Pastor Ronnie. Hi, everybody. How are you doing today? Good. I'm glad. Thank you so much. So good to see you all, and I am uh, so appreciative and honored uh, to be preaching for the next uh, three weeks or two weeks starting today. I don't know how that math works. I'm not really good at math. What I have become an expert on in the last couple of weeks, well, not expert, I've learned a little bit about it, is real estate. (laughs) So my wife and I, uh, we are in the process of uh, buying a new home or trying to buy a new home or maybe even building a home. And it's a really complicated, hard process. There's a lot of facts and figures that go into a process like this. And it's been really tough. And if you're like me, whenever things get tough, I turn to scripture. And I just got curious, and maybe you can relate to this. I wanted to know how real estate took place in ancient Israel. Anybody else ever do that? Like, just out of curiosity, start digging through scripture? No, just me? Okay, that's fine. Um, And I I learned some things about God's sovereignty and his immutability through through the study of this scripture. And I'm excited to talk to you about this, but all this actually has to do with prayer. It all has to do with prayer. And as I have been looking around at our nation and even in our community, about what's going on with the coronavirus, with the uh, social injustice and unrest, Uh, I feel as a nation, we, and as a people of God, we need to be praying more. And so I believe that whenever God's people don't pray, our community, our state, our nation, and even our world suffer because God's people don't pray. And I'm convinced of this. If we knew what was actually taking place as we prayed, we would never stop. We would never stop praying if we had a full understanding of who God is and what he was wanting to do and accomplish here on earth. We would never stop praying. And so for the next few weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about why we pray. We're going to be talking about what happens when we pray or the anatomy of a prayer. And we're going to be talking about how we should pray. And before you think, oh man, Sam thinks he knows everything about prayer, uh, that's not the truth. In fact, Daniel Morrow and I, we got to work on this sermon a little bit together. Uh, he was actually going to be preaching at the 11 o'clock, uh, but since um, he, him and his wife, they're expecting uh, little baby Sutton here in the next couple of weeks, uh, he decided to not step into that in case, because there's a, there's a chance that the uh, Sutton could be born at any time right now. And so he graciously said, Sam, will you please take my spot? And I said, oh, sure, I guess I can do that. That'd be fine. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm thankful to be uh, preaching to you today. Uh, but the key behind this series is the best way is to pray. So if you're not praying right now, the best way to pray is just to start. Start praying now. And we're going to be looking at two scriptures each week. They are 2 Chronicles 7.14 and Ephesians 3.20-21. through 21. So if you want to, you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. And this is actually a verse that uh, Michael read to us during one of those songs that we just sang. And we didn't plan that, so I always think that that's really great whenever there is a verse that corresponds from the worship to the message that isn't exactly planned, but God just works it out somehow like that. And we're also going to be in Jeremiah uh, chapter 32, if you want to know the different places we're going to be in Scripture today. But 2 Chronicles 7.14 says this, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear 
from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. God is wanting to restore our land, so why are we not praying more? Ephesians 3, 20 through 21 says this, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I actually got to break down this verse a little bit during our Facebook Live morning uh, messages every morning on Monday through Thursday. Uh, First Burleson actually goes live on Facebook. Ronnie usually leads those, but we also have some department leaders that sneak in there to give updates about what's happening in the church. And I got to break down this verse a little bit. And I really enjoy it because there are three adverbs that are used in this verse. It's exceedingly, abundantly, and above. And what's great about adverbs is you can take them out uh, out of a sentence and it still makes sense. Because if you took those out, it says, now to him who is able to do all that we ask or think. But Paul, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, puts these three descriptors onto what God does whenever we begin to ask him things. He does exceedingly, abundantly, and above all that we could pray for, all that we could ask, and even above what we could even begin to think. So God is wanting to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we are praying for. And if that is the truth, then why are we not praying more? That leads us to the question of this entire series. If God is wanting to do good things, why are we as his people not praying more? And I believe that our lack of prayer for many of us comes from a theological misunderstanding of two of God's attributes. And that word theology, uh, it's not a complicated word, but in case you don't know what it means, theos means God, and uh, it's made up of two words, theos and logia. And it's theos means God, logia means subject, so it is the study of God. And that's a really good working definition of theology, but a more practical and uh, more accurate one is that theology is the subject of God. It is God studied as a subject, uh, just like biology is the study of living beings. Theology is the study of God. And whenever you study God as a subject, as a person to know, you study his attributes and his distinct characteristics, what makes God, God. And because we misunderstand two of God's attributes, I believe it causes us to pray less when in reality, it should be causing us to pray more. And the first characteristic, his first attribute is the sovereignty of God. And a lot of people take this word sovereignty to mean that God is going to do whatever he wants to do, and there's nothing that's going to stop him from doing that. And there is a truth in that God can do whatever he wants to do. And that word sovereignty, what it means is, uh, it's made up of two different words again, sov and reign. Sov means supreme, reign means to rule or to reign. So it means that God has supreme reign. God is the supreme ruler of the heavens and the earth. There is nobody who is above him. He's at the top. Everything is below him. He has supreme reign, but what he did in that supreme rule is he extended an authority to Adam and Eve at the beginning of creation to rule in the earth, to have an authority in the earth, to have a responsibility and a stewardship 
of this earth, to care for it, to fill it, to rule over the beasts and the creatures and everything therein. They had an authority that was extended to them by God. And I believe that whenever they ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, what they did was exchange that rule and authority for the knowledge of good and evil. And we're going to look at a place in scripture where that is highlighted. Um, But before we get into that, uh, when it comes to God's sovereignty, there are times whenever bad things do happen. But I want us to remember something that Ronnie has been saying, that everything that God allows, he redeems. That's highlighted in Job. Job experienced persecution, suffering unimaginably. God allowed those things to happen. He didn't cause it. Remember, he sent Uh, He didn't sin, but he allowed Satan to go and to torment Job, but he, uh, he allowed that to happen, but he also redeemed it. So everything that God allows, he redeems. And Jeremiah 32, we're going to be in there. This is a, if you just read this verse, you can skip over it very easily because it looks like just a real estate transaction is taking place in Jeremiah 32, but this actually alludes to the sovereignty of God and how he rules and how he reigns and how we fit into that picture. So it's really, it's really an exciting verse that at surface level seems kind of unexciting. So we're going to be in Jeremiah 32. And as we get into this, there's going to be two different exegesis that we get from this verse. There's a historical exegesis meaning that there's a historical context that we're going to understand from this, but there's also a messianic exegesis, meaning that there is going to be a, uh, a type and a shadow of Jesus that we're going to see in this scripture. So Jeremiah 32 verse 6 says this, and Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you saying, buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours. So remember that right of redemption. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours. So remember that as well, the right of inheritance. And the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both which was sealed, so there's a sealed deed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. That there, so there's a sealed deed and an open deed. And this is the real estate transaction that took place. So what's happening in this verse, and we have to uh, look at what historians and biblical scholars are saying about this situation because we're not 100% sure. But most likely what happened is whenever Jeremiah was not yet a man, his father died. That is most likely what happened. And for his mom to have enough money to live off of, sold land that belonged to Jeremiah's father and his father's before him, to their cousin. So they would have enough money to live off of. And whenever a real estate transaction took place, 
what would happen is there'd be two deeds that would be drawn up. There'd be a sealed and closed deed, and there would be an open deed. Now, the person who the lamb belonged to by right would keep the closed deed. That means that the land still uh, belongs to them, but they gave the open deed to the purchaser of the land, and that open deed could transfer from person to person and be sold uh, again and again. And so there's two different deeds. There's a, the sealed deed, which belongs to the family, the open deed, which could transfer from person to person, but the person with the sealed deed still owns a right to the land to be able to buy it back. And remember, there's two different rights. There's the right of redemption and the right of inheritance. So Jeremiah actually has the right of inheritance over this land, which means that at the year of Jubilee or whenever his uh, cousin dies, the land actually goes back to him by right. But he also has the right of redemption, which means that at any time he can break open the sealed deed and claim the right to buy back the land for the allotted amount, which in this case was 17 shekels of silver. So we have the right of redemption, the right of inheritance, we have the open deed, and we have the sealed deed. So historically, what God is saying through Jeremiah in this verse and in this context is uh, what Israel is about to go through is 70 years of captivity in Babylon. And he wants them to know that they are going to once again, someday, own and, uh, and possess the land that they're about to leave again. That's the historical context, but there's also a messianic. You see, this is a type and shadow of Jesus himself. Like Jeremiah, Jesus is the firstborn and the right of inheritance belongs to him. And I think this is what this is a depiction of. You see, when God created the heavens and the earth, he had supreme rule over all of it. And in his authority gave to Adam and Eve an authority to rule and to reign over the earth. So if you want to apply this verse to that, God kept a sealed deed of authority, meaning it belonged to him fully by right, but he gave an open deed of authority to mankind to rule and to reign and to subdue the earth and to fill it. And the exchange for the knowledge of good and evil, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, is what Adam and Eve sold their open deed for. And so there was an exchange that happened. There was an authority that was lost. There was a position that was no longer uh, possessed by Adam and by Eve. And we know this is true because whenever Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, he says to him, I will give you, Jesus, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth. And Jesus in this moment does not correct him. He doesn't say, no, those actually belong to me. Those actually belong to my father. You see, he had a power and an authority in this world. And Jesus recognized that. But Jesus had the right of inheritance. And he also had the right of redemption. And 2,000 years ago, he bought back that open deed with his blood. And in Revelations 5, we see a picture of that taking place uh, in the heavenlies whenever John is caught up. And it says in verse 2, and it, um, he saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on, on, or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And he wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. 
he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And down in verse 9, it says, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and a priest to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. This is the reason why the sovereignty of God is a reason to pray. Matthew 16, 18 through 19. Upon this rock, which is the people of faith who uh, confess Jesus as Lord, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And I will give you, this is Jesus talking to the disciples and to the church. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Jesus is returning the authority that Adam and Eve lost to his people to be in a position of authority to pray on behalf of the land so that it will be healed, so that we can pray for things to be bound and to be loosed on heaven and on earth, and it will happen. Second Chronicles 7:14. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will restore their land. God in his sovereignty extended an authority to his people that we would pray on behalf of this earth and on behalf of the people therein and on behalf of our communities. He has extended authority to us to be able to do that. So why are we not praying more? Whenever Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I believe that God is the supreme ruler over the heavens and the earth, that his will is going to be done, whether we decide to be a part of that or not. But he has chosen to partner with people so that we would pray for his will to be done so that we can be a part of what the kingdom of God is doing, that we can see kingdom power unleashed in our lives and in every situation and even over our entire nation. We need to be praying more. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Kelsey and I, four years ago, we were driving around Burleson. We had uh, found a great house that we were going to buy. And we're really excited about it. Two months um, until our lease was up at a, at a duplex we were living in in Bedford. And we were going to go in and start the negotiation, start signing the contracts. And we walked into the house and the person who owned it said, sorry, I'm going to go with this other person. They're going to buy it. Thank you for your time. So, so sorry. We were, we were devastated. Uh, we had already been, uh, basically, like, we had seen ourselves in this house already. Whenever we first looked at it, we were like, did we just find our home? This is great. And then we lost it. Two months go by. There is, I think, like, two or three days left uh, for us to be able to either extend our lease for where we were staying or say we're going to live somewhere else. And we were both just so nervous about that situation. And we were literally driving around Burleson praying, God, do you want us to move to Burleson? Do you want us to live here? What are we supposed to do? And while we were in the middle of praying, we received a call from the, uh, from the seller, who, and they said, hey, the house is available. Do you still want it? And we said, yes, we do still want it. And I've been thinking about that, that moment for a while. And I've been wondering, you know, if we hadn't been praying, would that opportunity still have been there? 
if we wouldn't have been praying for a house, would that door have been opened? And I can't say for sure, yes or no, it would have been or would not have been. But I know for sure that my perspective about the situation changed. And see, before, I think if we hadn't been praying for it, we would have called it circumstance or coincidence or happenstance, whatever you want to say. But because we were praying in that moment, our perspective changed and we realized that it wasn't us uh, falling into a good circumstance, but it was God actually providing for us and making a path for us. And so maybe the situation wouldn't have changed, but our perspective on it did. And so we had peace to say yes, because we had covered it in prayer. And I believe that if you will begin to pray, maybe, I don't know for sure. I think that God can have a change of mind sometimes. I think we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But whenever we don't pray, we don't put ourselves in the position to be able to receive something that God maybe is wanting to say to us, do in us, uh, do through us. And so I think we need to be praying more. And the second characteristic of God's, uh, God's attribute is his immutability. His immutability. That's a big word, but it essentially means uh, he cannot change. M means impossible Mutable means change, and so God cannot change. That's what it's saying. Uh, Malachi 3.6 says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Uh, the New Living Translation of that verse says, Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us, from God, our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. And people misunderstand this characteristic and they say, well, if God is never going to change, why should I pray? Same with the sovereignty. If God's just going to do what he wants to do, why should I pray? If he never changes from day after day, why should I pray? And this doesn't mean that God... Um, never changes his mind. What this means is that God never changes his character. His character is never changing. And we have example after example in scripture of God having a change of mind. Uh, one of the biggest ones is Moses when he's on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments and Aaron and the priests are down below casting gold into a furnace to, to, make, a, to make an idol. God says, I'm going to wipe out every single one of them. I'm going to start over afresh with you, Moses. And God, I mean, and Moses in that moment prays and God changes his mind. It's Exodus 32, 14. It says, so the Lord relented from the harm, which he said he would do to his people. And that word relented, it's in the Old Testament 108 times. 41 of those times it's translated as repented. It's translated as repented. And we have a hard time saying God repented from something because we think repent means to turn away from your sins. That's not the actual definition of repent. Repent just means to change your mind. And so it says God changes his mind. Whenever God came to Jonah and said, go to Nineveh and preach this message, 40 days in Nineveh, or yeah, 40 days in Nineveh will be destroyed. Jonah initially doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go to the, those people because they're, they're wicked, they're sinful, they've done terrible things, they've committed atrocities over the face of the earth. They have a reputation for how terrible 
they are. And so he doesn't want to go to them. But eventually, you know the story. He tries to run to Tarshish. He gets swallowed by a fish. He gets dropped off at the shores of Nineveh. And he preaches the word. And that's it. He goes in and says, 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. In Jonah 3.10, it says this. Then God saw their works. What Nineveh did is as soon as they heard that message, up to the king, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and they began to fast and repented of their wicked ways. So God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And this is Jonah's reaction. By the way, Jonah's not a story of a fish, in case you didn't know this. Jonah is a story about the character and the nature of God. Jonah says this to God, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, that you are slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. In other words, God, I knew that you don't change, that you have mercy on people who don't deserve it, that you have grace enough for the worst sinners, that you are going to be gracious at every chance that you have an opportunity to. Because God is loving, because he is gracious, because he is kind, we should be praying more. God wants to have mercy on us. If he can find one person to stand in the gap and agree with him, Ezekiel 22, 29 says this, the people of the land, they have used oppressions, committed robbery, mistreated the poor and the needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. So I sought for a man among them, who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found no one. We should be praying because God in his sovereignty gave us a stewardship and authority over this earth to bind and loose things on heaven and on earth. And the confidence that we have is that if we ask anything in his name, that he will hear us. And because God never changes and he's wanting to do good things, we should be praying more. I can't pretend to know the will of God day in and day out. I can't tell you why our country is in the state that it's in. I can't tell you um, what's going to happen with the situation with Kelsey and I's house. If we're going to move somewhere, if we're going to uh, build a house, I can't tell you what church is going to look like in a few months. I can't tell you what life is going to look like in an hour from now, especially today. But I do know this, that God is good, that he is loving, that he never changes. And we can count on him to be consistent in who he, in who he is. We can count on his character to never change. And because he never changes, we should be praying more. If we only knew what God 
was doing when we prayed, we would never stop. If we only knew how good he was, we would be begging him to come down and heal our land on a daily basis without ceasing. We would be praying for every little situation in our lives. We would cast before him all of our cares and all of our anxieties and every little tribulation, every little trial that we go through, we would never stop praying if we knew how good our God was. We would never stop. I believe that part of the reason that we are where we are as a country right now is because the people of God have failed to fully stand in the gap. And to go before the Lord and pray on behalf of the nation, I believe the reason why you are not experiencing peace with where we are right now as a nation, where you are right now as a family, where you are as an individual, is because you have not filled in the gap. That's part of it. So the challenge I have for you is pray more. The original title of this message was pray more, comma, better. And there's a couple of English teachers that took a look at that and had a slight brain aneurysm and they said, you can't do that because the grammar is so bad. And so we relented, we changed our mind, we repented on the title and said, hey, we're just gonna call it pray more. It still gets the point across. We need to be praying more. And again, the word better, that's subjective. Because I think the best prayer we can pray is an honest one. Whenever this, this series was kind of birthed out of a challenge I did recently. I, three weeks ago, I finished reading the Bible in 90 days, and it was tough. I don't recommend doing that, actually. <laughs> there was a lot of reading, and uh, sometimes I was reading just to get the reading done, but God still spoke in those moments, and I read through the book of Psalms in about three and a half days. It's a lot of reading, and through that, I saw the honest prayers of David and the other psalmist and the honest songs that they were singing about just being disappointed with life, about not understanding what God was doing, about going through trials and not knowing what the outcome was going to be. And they would pray honestly, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why do my enemies surround me? Why, why are they persecuting me? Don't you care about your name? I call you my God. And yet I am attacked on every side. I don't understand. And the great thing about these prayers is they would maybe start from a place of griping and a place of honesty, but they would always end in a place of honor. And David would say, God, I don't understand, but I know you are the king of kings. I know that you are good. I know you will establish your kingdom. I know that you will establish uh, your authority in this place. And in this circumstance, your name will be glorified. I think if we could be honest with God about how we're feeling, he can take us from a place of being honesty, of being honest and take us to a place of honor in that prayer. You see, whenever you come to God with your honest prayer and you come to him and you're real about the situation you're facing and you're not trying to sound holier than thou, you're not trying to make things sound better than they actually are, make yourself look better and you're honest about your sin, you're honest about your situation, I believe that's whenever God can really reach in and begin to minister to those places that maybe you've been keeping concealed. And in his sovereignty, in his authority, in his immutability, in his uh, character that never changes, he is going to speak love into those situations. He is going to speak peace into the places where you feel anxiety and discomfort. But we gotta be honest about where we are and we need to understand that 
his sovereignty and his immutability are not reasons why we should hold back our prayers, but reasons why we should step into them and pray more. This, this is the challenge. Pray at least five minutes for three days this week for our community, which is your family, your church, your city, yourself as an individual. Pray for our nation, for healing for our nation, and pray for our world. And if you've been praying for a situation in your life and you've become frustrated because maybe it's not manifesting itself in a way that is moving you from point A to point B like you would like it to, just understand this. There's a reason for the trial that you might be in and God isn't done with you yet. Like that song said, if I'm still living, you're not done with me yet. God has a reason for every single situation, every trial, every persecution that we face. So settle into that. Maybe don't pray for that thing to be over, but maybe pray for you to get what God wants you to get out of that situation. I believe for our country that we are where we are right now because God is not done with us yet. And he's wanting to do things in this nation. He's wanting to bring freedom. He's wanting to bring salvation. He's wanting to bring healing, but that process is going to be painful. So we need to be praying more. And as people that have received an extension of God's authority over this earth, we have a responsibility to pray more. Will you pray with me, please? God, I pray that we would be a people that stood in the gap on behalf of those who are oppressed, on behalf of our nation, God, on behalf of our families and our church, our cities. God, that we would wake up and feel your conviction, Father, to pray. As we went throughout our day, Father, you would convict us to pray. And as we lay down at night, God, you would bring conviction for us to pray. That we would be people who prayed without ceasing, who cared and loved with the same love that you have for your people. That we would see healing and freedom, salvation. God, that us as a church, Lord, would we see salvation break out in this place, Father, whether they're online or whether they're people here in person. God, we know that your presence isn't limited, God, to a place. But God, you are everywhere. So for the person online watching right now and for the people here present with us, God, Lord, we pray that you would have supreme rule in their lives and that you would show us your character, which never changes. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.